we're in Colossians chapter 1 again, looking mostly at verses 9 through 12. A college student named Nick Lutz got a handwritten four-page letter from his ex-girlfriend. She acknowledged the mistakes that she had made in their relationship, and she apologized to him. Nick Nick responded by sending the letter back to her, marked up like a term paper graded by some nitpicking professor. I mean, he pointed out formatting errors. You didn't indent correctly here. He made uh, note that the introduction was too long, made critical comments in the margin. At the bottom of the last page, he wrote, strong hypothesis, but nothing to back it up. And then he put a D minus on the top of her letter. Yeah, I thought about that. I thought that girl, something in her, uh, maybe the spirit of God, said, you messed up and you need to apologize. Have you ever tried to do something right and been criticized for it? You know how exasperating that can be. Oswald Chambers said, a man who's continually criticized becomes good for nothing. The effect of criticism knocks all the gumption and power out of him. The effect of criticism knocks all the gumption and power out of him. Some of you have had all the gumption and power knocked out of you. Maybe it was your parents who knocked it out. And if you're a parent, I beg you not to knock the gumption and power out of your own children. Or maybe you married a professional critic. Maybe you sat under the teaching of church leaders who led you to believe that God is the professional critic in the sky, our fault finder who art in heaven. Harder to please than any parent or boss or spouse. You take for granted that God is displeased with you. If that's the case, I have good news for you. You can please God. You can be a real part of his ineffable joy. Pleasing God is totally possible. You can do it. And pleasing him will bring great pleasure to you. So what do you have to do to please God? So what's first? Go to church? A lot. Uh, Read the Bible? Hours a day. Uh, Stop watching TV and start reading books, mostly boring books that don't hold your attention. And fast. Yeah, you should fast twice a week and then build up from there. You know, that's where our mind goes when we think about pleasing God. What should I do? But what really pleases God is what you become. Doing has an important role to play in becoming, but doing is not an end in itself. God doesn't need us to do things for him because he's too busy or his hands are full. That's not why he gives us things to do. He gives us things to do because doing them will help us become strong, loving, effective, joyful, thankful people, and that's what pleases God. In Colossians 1, 9 through 12, Paul gets specific about pleasing God and gives us four things that really delight him. Let's read those verses Colossians 1, verse 9, I'll start with. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We pray this, that you may be filled with the knowledge of God, that was the request, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Now that translation makes it sound like knowing the will of God will lead you to two distinct results. Living a life worthy of the Lord, one, and two, pleasing him in every way. But those two things are closely, inextricably linked. A more literal translation of this verse might go like this. To walk worthy of the Lord unto, that is, which leads to being a complete pleasure to him. In other words, when we're trying to live a life that is worthy of Jesus' sacrifice, his love, and his high calling, we will be pleasing to God. And it's not just that we'll try harder. If anything, we'll feel less like we're trying and more like we're flowing. There is a clarity in the original language that no translation can match. There is one request in these verses that God fill the Colossians with the knowledge of his will. If you didn't hear last week's sermon, listen online or pick up a CD before you leave. That gives context to what we're talking about this week. One request, along with a proposed means for granting that request, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Next is Paul's reason for making the request that the Colossians will live a life worthy of the Lord with the result that they will become completely pleasing to him. All that's in verse 9 and in the, the first clause of verse 10. What follows in the rest of verses 10, 11, and the beginning of 12 is a description of what God finds pleasing. So not only does Paul tell us that we can please God, he tells us precisely what does please God. He lists four things which in the original language sort of jump off the page at us because each one is in the form of a Greek present active participle. So you can recognize those participles in English because they take the form of gerunds, words that end with I-N-G. See if you can find them in the text. First thing that pleases God, bearing fruit. In Greek, that's just one word, fruit bearing. Next is growing in the knowledge of God. Third is being strengthened. And fourth is giving thanks. If those words describe you, then you are pleasing to God. He can't look at you without a smile on his face. We're going to look at each of those four traits, one at a time. But as we do, let's also look at ourselves. And for that, we're going to need God's help. So let's take down our defenses and ask God to show us clearly where we stand. Lord, do that for us. The first characteristic that is 
pleasing to God is fruit bearing. God wants you to be productive. He loves to see you making a difference. Notice that this fruit bearing happens in every good work. So that's why the knowledge of God's will is so foundational to this. His will for us as individuals and for us as a church includes doing certain good works and not doing others. He'll give that to someone else, but to us he'll give certain good works. Paul's written elsewhere that God has prepared beforehand, literal translation, God has prepared beforehand good works for us to walk in. You see how this plays out? God fills us with the knowledge of his will. That was the request. He makes us aware of the good works he's prepared for us to do. As we go through our day, walk is Paul's metaphor for that. As we walk through our days, we recognize the works that God has prepared for us. We engage in them, and then we produce fruit. Things that advance God's purpose in the world. You will never be as fruitful doing what you think of to do as you will be if you do what God thinks of for you to do. There used to be a character on TV. Nearly every episode would say, I love it when a plan comes together. You remember that? As we do the good works that God has prepared for us to do and start producing results, our Heavenly Father's plan comes together. And he loves it. He is pleased. Of course, that means if you're not doing good works, you're not being fruitful. Fruit grows and ripens in the context of doing the good works that God has prepared for us to do. Now, that's not all. As we engage in those works, we also grow in our knowledge of God, and that pleases him too. God wants us to know him. Our Heavenly Father cares about his children knowing him. Growing up, I didn't really know my earthly dad as well as I could have. He was an enigma to me. I knew when he was angry, but I didn't know what made him angry. I knew when he was happy, but I didn't know what made him happy. I knew he valued courage above all things and hard work, but I didn't know why. And unlike my Heavenly Father, my dad was not particularly eager to reveal himself. But that changed, especially after I had kids. I started growing in my knowledge of my dad, which I think pleased him. And it certainly improved our relationship. Most people want to be known, unless there's something wrong inside, something that's hurt, some injury. They want to be known. They want to share themselves with others. And in that, they're like God. He wants us to know him, not just because he wants to be known, but because knowing him is life-changing. More than that, knowing him is life-giving. In speaking with his father, Jesus prayed, this is eternal life, that they may know you. Some Christians don't know any more about God now than they did when they first believed. Some who have made a decision for Christ years ago still think God doesn't want them to have any fun 
or doesn't care about them or that he's abandoned them. Think how sad it must be for God when his children misunderstand him like that. Attribute to him motives that he doesn't have. He longs to be known by his children, by you. That pleases him. The knowledge of God that Paul had in mind is more than just knowing about him. You know, the knowledge that's needed to recite creeds or defend the doctrine of the Trinity. This knowledge is personal. People who are growing in this knowledge get God in a way they previously did not. They recognize what he's after in various situations, like a husband and wife who get each other so well that one look across a room communicates volumes. God wants us to be like that with him, to get him. As we grow in our knowledge of God, we also grow in our likeness to God. And this happens, don't forget, as we are filled with the knowledge of his will and engage in the good works he's prepared for us to do. God not only gave us good works so that we could be fruitful, but so that we could have the pleasure of getting to know him. So if you're not engaged in good works, guess what? You're not getting God. Those are the first two things that please God. Bearing fruit, growing in our knowledge of him. The next thing that pleases him, that next participle, is being strengthened. God delights to see his children grow strong, to build muscle, to become unbreakable. God is a father, and no father ever said, I sure hope my kid grows up to be a weakling. No father wants a child who's always giving up, falling apart, unable to handle the things that life brings. God is a father, and he's pleased when he sees his children growing strong. In the original language, this sentence is eye-catching. It goes something like this. Being empowered, that's the word that the NIV translates strengthened, with all power according to his power, where the final term for power is a different word in Greek. Power, power, power. God wants his children to be strong. He's pleased when his children are strong enough to handle whatever life throws at them. How does that strength manifest itself? Last week, Kevin was over at my house, and he was telling me about a, uh, the kind of strength that athletic scouts look for in potential recruits, which is described as explosive power. The best test to display this power is the standing vertical jump. But what test displays the power that God wants to see in his children? There are actually three tests that display the kind of power God wants to see in us. The first is the endurance test. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance. Among God's children, strength is measured by how long one can trust God when circumstances are difficult. Like some people go a day, and then they're done with trusting God. Some people go a lifetime. When sickness comes and it doesn't leave, we have people like that in our fellowship who are trusting God 
years in, and they're still trusting. When promotions are denied, when the car was in the shop three months ago because the brakes were out, two months ago because the muffler rusted through, and this month because the transmission needs to be replaced. When life is harder today than it was yesterday and looks to be even harder tomorrow, God wants his children to be strong enough to trust him and go the distance. The endurance that Paul has in mind could be defined as faith in God over an extended period of time in the midst of difficult circumstances. Faith in God over an extended period of time in the midst of difficult circumstances. The second test of strength, that's the first one. The second test of strength, we call it second level strength, is patience. Patience could be defined as love over an extended period of time in the presence of difficult people. So endurance puts up with difficult circumstances without giving up. Patience puts up with difficult people without breaking down. Of the two, patience reveals the greater strength. This kind of strength can endure unfair criticism. It keeps treating people in a Jesus-like way, even when they're self-centered and difficult. People who develop this second-level strength, they're the ones who can bless those who curse them and pray for those who mistreat them. That's strength. That's huge strength. When a spouse is thoughtless or unkind, they call on God's strength, trust him, and do what's right, regardless of what the other person does. And they're able to do that repeatedly. One act of forgiveness, followed by three reps, then five, then ten. One act of putting up with annoyance, followed by three reps, then five, then ten. Three reps of overlooking a fault, then five, then ten. They're strong, and they're getting stronger. Again, that happens when we are filled with the knowledge of God's will and are engaging in the good works he's prepared for us to do. We'll make a serious mistake if we think of this strength as our strength, a sign that we're somehow superior, a sign of our abilities and accomplishment. The strength comes from God. We're strengthened with strength according to his glorious power. Both the strength to endure trials and the the strength to be patient with people comes right out of a connection to God. Disconnect from him and your strength for those things immediately begins diminishing. Just like the strength of your phone battery diminishes as soon as you disconnect it from the charger. And sometimes just when you need it, you'll find it isn't there. What that implies you may have already realized, is that if you aren't able to endure difficult circumstances without giving up, if you are not able to be patient with difficult people without breaking down, your connection to God may not be solid. This kind of strength doesn't originate with you. You need to be recharged. If the way I take this passage is correct, and not everybody takes it this way, um, just for an example, the ESV does take it the way I take it, the NIV does not. 
Um, if I'm right, there's a third level of strength. If faith over time in difficult circumstances is a sign of strength, if love over time with difficult people is a sign of even greater strength, then joy in the midst of difficult circumstances and the presence of difficult people, joy is a sign of supreme strength. In Greek, the word the NIV translates as joyfully is really a noun. So we have three nouns in a row. And, and I think what Paul is saying, this is verse 11, is being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance, first noun and first sign of strength, and patience, second noun, second sign of strength, with joy, third noun, ultimate sign of strength. Joy in difficult circumstances and with difficult people is evidence of that explosive power that comes from God alone. Kingdom people who have joy under such circumstances are like top-tier athletes. Think of them at the Olympics. Their heavenly father is in the stands, and every time they endure a trial or forgive an offender, he jumps for joy. God is pleased when his children are strong. He wants you to be strong. That was the third thing that pleases him. There's one more. I mentioned there are four. It's at the beginning of verse 12. Giving. There's that fourth participle in a row. Giving thanks to God the Father. Gratitude is an indicator, maybe the indicator of spiritual health, and it pleases God. Most of us can be grateful when things go right, when the terrible thing doesn't happen, but the unlikely blessing does. But spiritually mature people are also grateful when things just go along. When the table's set for supper, when a favorite song comes on the radio, when the furnace works and the car runs, when the telephone wait time is shorter than expected, they give thanks. And they're even thankful when things go wrong. They regularly, genuinely, from their hearts, thank their Heavenly Father, whatever the circumstances. All right, to recap, the four traits that please God are fruitfulness, growing in the knowledge of God, strength, displayed through endurance in difficult circumstances, patience with difficult people, and joy, and gratitude. With that in front of us, you look up at the screen, with that in front of us, would you say you're pleasing to God? Are those traits evident in your life? If not, are you aware of something that's getting in the way? Do you need to reconnect to God, to be recharged? What's God saying to you right now? Let's just pause and listen to him. Let's bow our heads and take a moment. Ask the Lord to show you what he's thinking.
I want to say one more thing. God is easy to please. You don't have to be Samson strong for him to be pleased with you. You know, when your, your little three-year-old picks up something and, and it's light for you but heavy for her and she waddles over to you and gives it to you, you're pleased. Look at how strong she's getting. God's like that with you. This is not once you reach this level, finally you'll be pleasing with God. This is every step of obedience and trust you take will please him. Let's please him. All right, Father, thank you for giving us this with such clarity. But Lord, your word can be clear and our lives can be very unclear. Would you help us to see if we're pleasing you or displeasing you? And would you grace us so that our desire, the thing at the heart of our being, is to please our loving Heavenly Father. Please do this in Jesus' name. Amen.